Introducing Christianity to Mormons, a new book by Mormonism Research Ministries' Eric Johnson and published by Harvest House Publishers is a resource that'll help you share your faith with Latter-day Saint friends and loved ones. Order your copy of Introducing Christianity to Mormons at mrm.org. Viewpoint on Mormonism, the program that examines the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints from a biblical perspective. Viewpoint on Mormonism is sponsored by Mormonism Research Ministry. Since 1979, Mormonism Research Ministry has been dedicated to equipping the body of Christ with answers regarding the Christian faith in a manner that expresses gentleness and respect. And now, your host for today's Viewpoint on Mormonism. Welcome to this edition of Viewpoint on Mormonism. I'm your host, Bill McKeever, founder and director of Mormonism Research Ministry, and with me today is Eric Johnson, my colleague at MRM. Today we wrap up our look at some of the comments that were made regarding a God Loves Mormons video titled, The Gold Plates is Joseph Smith's Story Possible? I participated in that video when I was asked by Bradley Campbell to give my presentation regarding why I do not feel that the story of how the gold plates led to the Book of Mormon was even plausible. And so I tried to address a lot of the arguments that I have heard personally from Latter-day Saints, as well as a lot of the arguments that I have read in a number of LDS periodicals and even uh, manuals and things like that. So I'm trying to address the arguments that Latter-day Saints are raising, and in doing so, show why I have difficulty with this story. And remember, if the story doesn't work, if this thing is not possible, then there really is no Book of Mormon other than from the mind of Joseph Smith. And we can talk about how he got all those ideas. That's a whole nother issue. But the fact remains that a lot of the people that were complaining about my presentation are not really giving some of the best answers, at least not answers that I would personally think are convincing. Now, they may say that I'm prejudiced and I'm not just not listening, but that was the point of doing this series. I'm trying to give my rebuttals to some of the things that they are saying, and I hope our listeners can just do some research on their own. But let's continue looking at some of the comments that were made, Eric. This comment is made by Ilmerica. And he says, I've done it. I was chased by three dudes trying to kill me. My adrenaline allowed it. The adrenaline argument. I've heard this argument. And here's where the adrenaline argument really doesn't work. If you look at the entire story, you'll know that Joseph Smith went out to where the plates were allegedly buried in a stone box with his wife, Emma. They were in a wagon. Smith takes the plates out of the stone box and places them in a hollow log. Now, he goes back later to retrieve those plates, and this is where we read the story of him going off of the beaten path, and he is attacked by three attackers at various intervals, and he is going on the way to his home that's about three miles away. Now, you might say, well, adrenaline could kick in when you're scared. Now, it sounds like this guy is saying he was scared. He, was, uh, he felt he was going to be killed. So adrenaline kicks in at that point. But what would be the factor for Joseph Smith to have adrenaline when he's merely taking the plates out of the stone box and placing them in the hollow log? Why would Joseph Smith need adrenaline or what would cause adrenaline when Joseph Smith goes back to retrieve the plates to take them to his home three miles away? I can understand perhaps adrenaline kicking in when he's attacked by the first attacker. But remember, 
his mother said that their home was about three miles from where the plates were buried. Adrenaline doesn't last that long. It's, it's more of an instantaneous thing that happens in your body. It's a real thing, and there are stories of, you know, mothers who see their children under a car lifting the car. I've heard stories like this. I've never verified them. Okay, I'll give you that. Adrenaline could work, perhaps. But not for that long distance, and of course it wouldn't work when he's merely taking the plates out of the ground, putting them in the hollow log, and then going back later and then carrying them under one arm. There is no adrenaline in the story at that point. So you can't use that as a valid argument. Picking up the plates out of the stone box. I mean, imagine that the leverage you don't have to be able to pick up 200 pounds of plates using your fingers. I mean, that would take... An incredible amount of strength. Yeah, and a lot of people don't realize when he's taking them out of the stone box, if this story is even true, which I don't believe it is, but when he's doing this, based on what we're told, he has to lift them below his body weight. He's not using his legs. He has to use his arms, and he's bent over. Obviously, he has to be bent over if it's a hole in the ground. Well, that awkward position makes it even more difficult to lift something that heavy. And you're right. How does he get his fingers underneath the plates and able to lift them up? There, there become so many question marks that the story doesn't sound plausible. And we're, we're forgetting about Moroni as well, the one who supposedly put the plates into the box. Well, how did he get those plates from, if it was Central America, walking all the way to be able to even get them to New York would be quite a feat. And are we to assume that Moroni needed adrenaline to do that? Of course not. I've never heard Latter-day Saints use that kind of an argument when it comes to Moroni. Although I have heard this argument when it comes to Joseph Smith, but let me just reiterate, if adrenaline kicked in at all that enabled him to do that, and this is still quite a feat, it would be a very temporary thing that would happen, not something that would last for a distance of almost three miles. Another response on the YouTube page, Gray Man writes, I guess you quote-unquote scholars have never heard of gold leaf. Really? At least 15 people saw the plates. None ever denied it. This video is idiotic nonsense. Idiotic nonsense. Nothing like a little bit of ad hominem there, huh, Eric? Well, and he also has scholars in quotation marks. I'm not claiming to be a scholar. I'm just trying to retell the story as I've understood it from LDS manuals and Latter-day Saints telling me their side of the story. We've talked about the people seeing the plates. We spent a show discussing the issue that the three witnesses saw the plates in a vision. And this can be documented from The History of the Church, Volume 1, page 55. I read through that segment. Now I want to take it a little bit further. I had mentioned earlier in the week a historian by the name of Marvin S. Hill. And now, Eric, Marvin S. Hill was no slouch. He wrote a number of historical works during his lifetime. Yeah, he received a Ph.D. in American Intellectual History from the University of Chicago in 1968, studying under Martin E. Marty. Uh, he did publish a book with the current first counselor of the First Presidency, Dallin H. Oaks, 10-year research effort. It was called Carthage Conspiracy, the Trial of the Accused Assassins of Joseph Smith. He wrote that in 1975 with Oaks, and then he was a professor of American history at BYU that started in the 1960s. So he did a lot of research when it came to history. I've read that book by Oaks and uh, Hill on the Carthage Conspiracy. I thought it was a very well-written book. I enjoyed it immensely. 
But I want to go back to Marvin Hill because Marvin Hill seems to be very honest in his appraisal of, of these witnesses allegedly seeing the plates. And I'm going to read from an article that he did where he was critiquing Fawn McKay Brody's book, No Man Knows My History. Towards the end of that article, and this can be found in Dialogue, A Journal of Mormon Thought, Volume 7, Number 4, and I'm going to be reading from pages 83 and 84. He asked the question under the subheading, The Witnesses of the Book of Mormon. He says, what of the prophet's story about gold plates and what about his witnesses? Given Brody's assumptions, was there not deception here, if not collusion? Brody maintains that the prophet exercised some mysterious influence upon the witnesses which caused them to see the plates, thus making Joseph Smith once more the perpetrator of a religious fraud. Now, Hill goes on to say, after saying that, the evidence is extremely contradictory in this area. But there is a possibility that the three witnesses saw the plates in vision only. And I would say, not just a possibility, but if we are going to believe what the history of the church says in volume 1, page 55, that would seem to be the case because it says so on page 55. But then he says, Stephen Burnett, in a letter written in 1838, a few weeks after the event, described Martin Harris's testimony to this effect. This is what Burnett said. When I came to hear Martin Harris state in public that he never saw the plates with his natural eyes only in vision or imagination, neither Oliver nor David, the last pedestal gave way, in my view, our foundations. Why would Martin Harris say that if he actually saw tangible plates? That does seem to be somewhat problematic. Hill goes on to say, Burnett reported Harris saying that he had hefted the plates repeatedly in a box with only a tablecloth or handkerchief over them, but he never saw them, only as he saw a city through a mountain. Nonetheless, Harris said he believed the Book of Mormon to be true. Think about this. He hefted the plates repeatedly in a box with only a tablecloth or handkerchief over them, but he never saw them, only as he saw a city through a mountain. Why would Martin Harris say that if he actually saw tangible plates? It doesn't seem to make sense that he would backpedal from his original story to now put more of a question mark on this whole event. Saying he saw them tangibly is one thing, but now saying that I hefted them repeatedly in a box with a tablecloth over them. Well, did you see what was under the tablecloth? Well, no. Well, how did you know they were gold plates underneath the tablecloth? Well, obviously, Joseph Smith probably told him there were gold plates underneath the tablecloth, but it doesn't sound like he's actually seen them. Hill goes on to say there is testimony from several independent interviewers, all non-Mormon, that Martin Harris and David Whitmer said they saw the plates with their spiritual eyes only. Among others, A. Metcalf and John Gilbert, as well as Reuben P. Harmon and Jesse Townsend, gave testimonies to this effect. It continues, this is contradicted, however, by statements like that of David Whitmer in the Saints Herald in 1882, quote, These hands handled the plates, these eyes saw the angel, end quote. But Z.H. Gurley elicited from Whitmer a not-so-positive response to the question, did you touch them? His answer was, we did not touch nor handle the plates. 
Asked about the table on which the plates rested, Whitmer replied, quote, The table had the appearance of literal wood as shown in the visions of the glory of God, end quote. It does not seem likely from all of this that Joseph Smith had to put undue pressure on the three witnesses. More likely, their vision grew out of their own emotional and psychological needs. Men like Cowdery and David Whitmer were too tough-minded to be easily pressured by Smith. And I'm not trying to argue that Smith did, in fact, pressure them to give these testimonies. That's, that's not my argument. But Hill goes on in the next paragraph to say, So far as the eight witnesses go, William Smith said his father never saw the plates except under a frock. Sounds somewhat similar to what Martin Harris testified to. Here's my point. It doesn't seem that they are actually seeing physical, tangible plates in all this. Are we going to say that perhaps Martin Harris wasn't worth believing? Maybe he wasn't trustworthy. Well, you want to be careful if you're going to go in that direction, because if that's the case, why would you trust his testimony in the first place that's found in the front of every edition of the Book of Mormon? You see, people like Gray Man and others that we've talked about this week think that this is a slam dunk, that there's no possible reason why they didn't see tangible plates, but that's not exactly true. When you look a little bit deeper into the history of Mormonism, you find that all sorts of question marks start to develop. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information regarding Mormonism Research Ministry, we encourage you to visit our website at www.mrm.org, where you can request our free newsletter, Mormonism Researched. We hope you will join us again as we look at another viewpoint on Mormonism.